there was much conflict surrounding it, but there was also boldness. And where was the boldness? It was in God. You know, I can be bold in God. I can have a confidence in God. I can't be very bold in my own flesh because I know that my flesh will fail me. But I can have that confidence in God and in his word. He had promised us in scripture in Isaiah that my word will not come back void to me. And so with that, we can have a confidence in the word of God, be bold in the word of God to preach forth the gospel of God, even in conflict. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I just want us to concentrate on the first 12 verses today and we'll pick up 13 through 20 next week. And we want to look at Paul and his, his encouragement to the church there in Thessalonica to really call to remembrance. He will say this over and over again as he's teaching through this letter about what and the example, the things they did, the example that they were before them, but he'll call them to remembrance as witnesses. Hey, you guys know, for you know that this is how we were. This is what we did. Also, he even calls God in. God is my witness. His desire is not to please men, verse 4, but to please God. And that is something I believe that Paul always wanted to do in his life from early on as a boy. I believe Paul wanted to be a God pleaser. In Philippians 3, 4, Paul would write and say, If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day. And that's a a legality of the law. A Jewish male boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, we had found through science that it's actually the best day. There's something about the system of a child that the blood will uh, coagulate much quicker on the eighth day. It's at its highest peak in the child's life and an adult's life, too. And then after that, it diminishes back to where if you get cut or wounded, your healing will take a little more time. And so God in his miraculous creation just created us that way. But it was the letter of the law. And that's what Paul's really trying to get across. He didn't know about the scientific stuff that man has learned now. What he was learning about was that my parents kept to the letter of the law. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So he let us know what nation he was from but also from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I'm from America, 
But you could ask me, well, what nationality are you? Because we know that in America that we're just, you know, a, a mesh of different nationalities here. That's how this nation was formed. And I'm from America. Yeah, but what nationality are you? I have no clue. You know, my folks were from the South and they didn't keep track of that stuff down there. And we would try, you know, my dad said he thought we were from France because my older sister did a paper in high school and our name could come from France. And I don't think that's very good evidence of it. And so it wouldn't hold up. You know, it's this whole Jewish thing here. Paul knew he had the paperwork to show, hey, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And that's what he's getting across here. Not only from Israel, but I know what tribe I belong to in the nation of Israel. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, in Paul's day and age, most Israelis did not speak the Hebrew language, but Paul did. And so it set him apart. Keeping the tradition of the fathers, the letter of the law, but also speaking the language of the people. Concerning the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. Now, 400 years earlier in Paul's time, when the Pharisee sect kind of came into being, it was the back to the Bible guys. It was the guys who just wanted to get into the word of God and do what the word says. By the time Paul became a Pharisee, it was a bunch of guys who wanted to keep the letter of the law, but they didn't keep it in their hearts. And Paul would discover that that's what God was after all along, that it's a heart issue, not an outward keeping of the law. But concerning zeal, he was a very zealous man, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. There's one point in Paul's day that he discovered that his heritage, being circumcised at the right time, being of the tribe of Benjamin from the nation of Israel, did not necessarily cause him to be a God-pleaser. Just because you're from America. For so many years, America has been thought of as a Christian nation. It does not make you a Christian. And nor would I say that America is a Christian nation any longer. But just being from a nation doesn't make you necessarily a believer, nor does it even being from a, a family who your mom and dad had believed just because you're a child raised up in that household. It doesn't make you a believer unless you personally accept the Lord. And so the nation didn't cause him to be a God pleaser. Being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a sect of the Pharisees, being zealous against the church, keeping the strictness of the law didn't cause him to be a God pleaser. But what they did bring him was the recognition of man. It wasn't the intent of his heart, I believe, but that's what the result, the end result was. He was an up and coming guy in the sect of the Pharisees. It caused him to have great recognition among his people, but not among God. But God in his grace, you know, if Paul would have stayed in that state, only death and hell would have awaited him. But God in his grace, according to Galatians 1, chapter 10, Paul says, it was God who separated me from my mother's womb for the work of ministry which he had planned for me. So God had separated him out from his mother's womb. God knew all along. Now we look at that, I look at that, and I think, God, what took you so long? Why did you even let him persecute the church then? As Paul would say, even putting them to death. Why would you let him go through that? Why would you even let your own church go through that? And see, that's the thing. Our Lord is looking at the eternal aspects of our lives and not the temporal things that we see around us. 
If you remember a few years ago, we had Jim Hesterly come and minister to us around this time, a couple of years ago, and he told a story of his son who was not walking with the Lord, had strayed away from the Lord for many years, and he was really talking about obedience to the word of the Lord, and not just the word of God that we have before you, but what happened in the church that he was at, an individual came up to him and said, the Lord has really put this on my heart. I think it's from the Lord. I just, I have to tell you, but I think the Lord wants you to tell your son that you love him. And so Jim said, okay. And, you know, he took that thought home with him, but for the next couple of days, it kind of remained with him. And he sat down one day and he pinned a letter to his son, sent it to the last known address that he had for his son. Hadn't heard from his son for years. And it just so happens, if you believe in the just so happens events of life, I don't. I think God is orchestrating behind the scenes all the time. The day that the postman came to deliver the letter, the son went by his old house just to see if anything, any mail had come for him or anything. And the postman went up, saw the letter, took it out of his pouch and saw, well, this guy doesn't live here anymore, turned around and saw him standing there and said, this is for you. Now, what Jim didn't tell us, he did tell us that his son was now a worship leader at a Calvary chapel. But what he didn't tell us, that his son didn't come back to the Lord until he was 37 years old. We think, Lord, why take so long? But see, I believe the Lord does this just like with Paul. What he did with Paul with the persecution of the church, just seeing Stephen being stoned to death that day that really brought this zeal out and he began to persecute the church like that. When he became a missionary of the church, Paul was unstoppable. Nothing could slow him down. And he accounts the beatings and the sufferings that he went through in Corinthians for Christ. But I believe it was that formation in his life that caused him to be the man that he became. And the man that he became was just what he always desired to be, a God-pleaser. Later on in this book, in chapter 4, Paul is going to talk to us about how we can please God. But today, he's telling us how he went about being this God-pleaser. So let's go ahead and get into the text, and we read from chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from deceit or uncleanness, nor was it in guile. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul's desire to please God, and he's beginning to recount and remind the church there in Thessalonica about how they came to them, and how they came to them was in a place of suffering, as we read about there in verse 2. If you remember, when Paul and Silas went to Philippi, there was no church. That was the whole point of the mission. And as he began to preach the gospel and people began to get saved, the townspeople, the Jews there, got into an uproar. Ultimately, Paul and Silas were drugged to a place where they were whipped and beaten and cast into prison. 
You know the story of the Philippian jailer, and as they were in that inner prison, locked in the stocks, and as they were at midnight singing praises to the Lord, that there was that great earthquake, and the prison doors shook open, and the chains fell off all the prisoners, and the prison keeper saw what had happened and was ready to kill himself because he knew that his prisoners no doubt escaped. And Paul and Silas said, hey, don't harm yourself. We're here. We're all here. Now, I can see why Paul and Silas perhaps remained. I don't know why the other guys stuck around because it's a prison. And you think in the prison, you got guys who are always looking to escape. They had their opportunity, but there was the Spirit of God working not only in Paul and Silas' life at this point, but also it had worked in the men to just want to hang out. I got to see what's going to happen here. And the jailer came in and took Paul and Silas out, washed their wounds. The whole household of that jailer got saved and baptized, and, and they were released but asked to leave the city. Now, we know the story where at this point Paul and Silas let them know that, hey, you guys have beaten and imprisoned Roman citizens. And they got desperately afraid, brought them out with kind words, but said, could you please leave our city? Now, what happened as they made their way to Thessalonica is that they carried with them now the scars and perhaps even the wounds still of this beating. But definitely the scars were there and would be there for the rest of their lives. And so he said to them, you know, verse 2, that we had suffered before and were spitefully treated. They knew what happened at Philippi. But in verse 1, he said, our coming to you was not in vain. Hey, it wasn't an accident that we happened upon your town. You read the missionary journeys of Paul and you find that sometimes he was intending to go to one place, but the Lord would hinder him and he'd end up in another place. And so he was really being guided by God. He was being guided by the Holy Spirit. And as he comes to these towns, even though at this point it would seem like to us, Paul, you're not having a very successful missionary journey. You're getting beaten and kicked out of every town that you preach in. And in Thessalonica, all we know from Scripture that he at least stayed there for three weeks, but that could have been the full length of his ministry. He may have been there a little bit longer, but a minimum of three weeks, and he was run out of another town. But he wrote back to them and said, Our coming to you was not in vain. Why? Because they were bold, verse 2, in God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict, the conflict that surrounded them, the persecution that now was coming upon the one who formerly persecuted the church. But I think also spiritual, the spiritual battle that was at play later on in this chapter, Paul talks about the hindering of Satan in their lives, of how he wanted to get back to the church there, but up to this point, Satan, two times at least, had hindered them from doing that. There was much conflict surrounding it, but there was also boldness. And where was the boldness? It was in God. You know, I can be bold in God. I can have a confidence in God. I can't be very bold in my own flesh because I know that my flesh will fail me. But I can have that confidence in God and in His Word. He had promised us in Scripture and Isaiah that my Word will not come back void to me. And so with that, we can have a confidence in the Word of God, be bold in the Word of God to preach forth the gospel of God, even in conflict, as they did then. 
In verse 3, he says, For our exhortation did not come from deceit, uncleanness, nor was it in guile. The deceit, speaking about some kind of or type of fraudulence, the uncleanness, talking about impurity, that word for guile actually is a Greek word for bait. And what Paul, I believe, was trying to tell them that they didn't come to them with any bait and switch tactic. They weren't trying to, as he will say later on, use flattering words to kind of draw people in. And then here's the true message. This is what we really want to talk to you about. We have groups that claim to be part of the body of Christ, claim to study the word of God, and they'll come to your door, they'll knock on your door, and they'll introduce themselves, and they'll have a Bible even. And they'll ask, would you like to do a Bible study? We'd love to come to your house and and do a Bible study with you. But that's not their intent. They want to get you into a study, but sometime and some point they'll want to switch the topic and tell you that the Bible is not reliable unless you use our books, unless you join our, I was going to use the word ministry, I don't know if it's proper to use in that context, but unless you join their organization, that might be even better. They would call themselves a ministry, but I won't give them that much credit. But even in our churches today, there is that type of bait and switch danger of not wanting to, and we'll look at that in a moment when we get to the portion of Scripture that does talk about the flattering words, not wanting to use these words that might offend the people, but in doing that, they're not bold in God to speak the gospel of God. And there's that danger always before us. To be bold in God to speak the gospel of God means you have to present the whole message of the Bible, everything. And one of the things that attracted me personally to the Calvary Chapel movement was the verse-by-verse through the Bible teaching of the Word of God. Because when you do that, you have to deal with every verse of Scripture. Now, I'll give you, when we get into some of the genealogies, I'll let you read them for yourself. But I will highlight the names that might pop out as importance to us. But frankly, because... I, nor most of you can even pronounce most of those names. It's just a a hard thing. But even the genealogies, part of the Word of God, they're necessary there to, to show us how detailed God was. Every jot and tittle, the Lord said, will remain till all is fulfilled. So no bait and switch tactics, but using the pure gospel of the word of God, but also their motives were pure. Their hearts were true. And so he he calls them to a witness that they knew here in verse four. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Now here, Paul begins to describe a little bit about their calling, their calling as ministers, one, that they have been approved by God. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul, writing to Timothy, says to him, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Being approved by God, God who has entrusted 
to Paul and Silas and Timothy, the work of the ministry and many others during that day and even many during this day, to you and to me, for those of us who believe, to find out once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, approved by God. You have been approved. It could be that you're new in your faith. We were with Pastor Chuck of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, a few weeks ago, and he was telling a story at dinner time about back in the early days when the hippies were coming and getting saved at Calvary Chapel, but they were so new in their faith, they would immediately go out and begin to share their faith. And once the person responded and said, yeah, I want to receive Jesus, they were so new in their faith, they didn't know what to do beyond that point. And so they'd bring the person to Chuck and say, this person wants to get saved. They didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to follow through all the way. But they were taking what they had, as little as it was, and they were approved by God to preach forth the gospel of God. And many of these individuals, as we knew, grew to become pastors and pastors' wives and many of the fellowships working throughout our nation and now throughout the world. Do you realize that you have been approved by God for this very thing? And you think, well, John... Man, if you'd know my past, God wouldn't want to use me. Well, let's continue on there in 1 Timothy. Paul said in verse 13, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. We've already talked a little bit about Paul's past today. He persecuted the church. He put people to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this very man was preaching forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Hey, I'm the worst of the lot. And I believe Paul would say, I'm the worst of the lot. And if God can use a man like me, he can use anybody. And do you realize that God has only at one point in history used one who is perfect? And that perfect one is Jesus Christ. Everyone after him, they've all been flawed. They've all been imperfect because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us qualify. None of us qualify. But by God's grace, we can be approved by God. But he goes on to say to speak forth the gospel of God. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole message of the gospel that he wanted to present. Remember, no, no guile, no bait and switch tactic. Hey, Jesus Christ came. He walked this earth. He died. He was buried. He rose again. The gospel message and faith in him can bring you new life, forgiveness of sin. And also he says there in verse 4, at all times seeking to please God. His heart's desire was to please God. I think I misquoted this from Galatians 1.10. It's in that portion that I referred to earlier, but the What I was thinking of was this in regards to, for I do not persuade men or God, nor do I seek to please men. For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. There in the first chapter, he does talk, it might be in verse 8, about his being set aside at birth for the work of the ministry. But in verse 10, he wants to please God. If he pleased men, if he still pleased men, Paul realized that he at one time did. That's what he was. He was that man pleaser and he knew it, but no longer. He just wanted to please God. And I hope that you want to be one who pleases God too. Realizing verse four there at the end, it's God who tests our hearts. Jeremiah says in 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so ultimately God is the judge. 
And who do you want to please? The one who is going to judge you or the others who are going to be standing in judgment with you? It's not going to matter what your friends think. It's not going to matter what your family thinks. It's not going to matter what your employer thinks at that point. The only thing it's going to matter is what you did with Jesus. God is the ultimate judge of the heart, and it's to him we should be working to and striving to please. But I am so grateful that we have such a loving Father, our God, who sent his only begotten Son to offer his life a sacrifice for us, that we could come into that relationship with him and impart to us not only salvation, but the Holy Spirit of God into our very lives. And Father, we are so grateful and thankful for your word that you have given to us, that you first gave to Paul through pen to go to the church there in Thessalonica, but you have preserved it for us to this day. May we read from it, may we grow from it, may we learn from it, Lord, that we would be a people who would walk worthy of you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.